Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, well, you can grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, uh, you will find that on page 884. In case you haven't been with us recently, for well over a year now, we have been making our way through Luke's gospel account. And as we've done that, we've seen that after three years of traveling around, teaching about the kingdom of God, and performing miracles, things have taken a turn for the worst, as Jesus has been betrayed, and he has been arrested, and ultimately put to death on a cross. All of the momentum of this growing movement has fizzled. Everything that his disciples had been expecting and hoping for uh, has come to a screeching halt, because this is not how things were supposed to go. Except, the only thing is, this is exactly the way it was supposed to go. And the disciples are going to be reminded of that this morning as we read the first part of Luke's account of the resurrection. So we're in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 1. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And so last week we read the story about Jesus' crucifixion and death. And we saw that as Jesus gave up his life, the temple curtain was torn in two, demonstrating that the old covenant had come to an end as the new covenant was established through his death. We saw that one of the criminals who was crucified with Jesus professed faith in him and received assurance of salvation. And then we saw that a man named Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body and laid it into a brand new tomb that had never been used before. And Luke told us that he was followed by a group of women who had been with Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. Uh, but it's getting to the, the end of the day, the, the process for preparing Jesus' body was, was very lengthy, and so they, they ran out of time uh, before the Sabbath was about to begin uh, to finish. And so Joseph and the women went back into the city and gathered together everything that they would need to finish the process uh, later after resting on the Sabbath according to the fourth commandment. And now as we pick up here in chapter 24, we fast forward to Sunday, the first day of the week. And in verse 1, we can see the love and loyalty that this group of women has for Jesus. Right? They had had to leave him without being properly cared for on Friday, and then they rested on the Sabbath on Saturday. But Luke tells us that at early dawn on Sunday, literally first thing in the morning, as soon as possible, uh, th these women go back to the tomb with the spices that they had prepared to anoint him. And there's an evident sense of urgency to properly honor Jesus in his burial. But when the women arrive, they don't find something that they do expect, and they do find something 
that they don't expect. And so on the one hand, in verse 2, we see that they find the stone rolled away from the tomb. And so one of the several details that Luke did not mention last week was that a stone had been rolled in front of the entrance of Jesus' tomb in order to secure it. This stone would have required several grown men to move it, and so the women would need to be allowed to go inside. But when they arrive, they find that the stone has already been rolled away. So they're able to go right into the tomb. But when they do, Jesus is nowhere to be found. And so this is doubly confusing. The stone shouldn't be out of place, but it is. And Jesus should be in the tomb, but he's not. This is a most unexpected development. The women aren't sure what to do with it, but fortunately, an explanation is on the way, as we'll see when we pick up again, beginning in verse 4. It says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So picking up again in verse 4, Luke describes the women as perplexed. They know that this is the right place, but but the, the tomb is open and there is no Jesus. And so they're standing there, scratching their heads, looking around, trying to figure out what is going on, when suddenly there are two men standing beside them dressed in dazzling apparel. Now, when Luke speaks about people dressed in dazzling apparel, he's not talking about Elton John. He intends for us to understand here that these are angels who visibly reflect the glory of God. And as it usually happens in the Bible, when humans encounter supernatural beings, the women are terrified, and they fall down with their faces to the ground. So things were were already confusing, but now these women are completely overwhelmed by whatever is going on here. Well, in the second half of verse 5, the angels ask the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And, and I like this. Essentially, they ask the women, what are you doing? Why are you here? Well, we've come to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Okay, but why would you think that's necessary? Well, because he died. Well, well yes, of course he died, but he's not dead anymore. He's risen. Right? They, the, the angels uh, don't understand what the women are not uh, getting about this. And then in verse 6... They give the women a command, the only command in this passage. They tell them to remember. They remind them of the fact that a long time ago, while while Jesus was still in Galilee, he had told them that he would be rejected and handed over to the Gentiles and be crucified. And then on the third day, he would rise. And and, and we saw that in chapter 9, and we saw it again in in chapter 18, And Jesus hinted at it several times in between. For whatever reason, Jesus' words never sunk into the minds of the disciples. They heard what he said, but it just didn't register. But Jesus was put to death on Friday, day one. 
He rested in the grave on Saturday, day two. And now on Sunday, the third day, the women have found the tomb empty, which accords exactly with what Jesus had said would happen. And so the angels have explained the reason for the empty tomb, and we'll see what the women do with it as we pick up again, beginning in verse 8. It says, And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And so the angels have emphasized that Jesus said that this is exactly what would happen. And as we pick up in verse 8, the women remember Jesus' words, and it all begins to make sense to them. Wait, he did say that this would happen. And so in verse 9, the women leave to go share this news with the eleven, meaning the apostles. Uh, there used to be twelve of them, but obviously Judas is out of the picture at this point. And also to all the rest. And so we've seen that, that Jesus has had a larger group of disciples following him around throughout his ministry. And in the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke, tell, Luke tells us that there were about 120 of them. So these women are making their way around, letting all of these disciples know what has happened. And, and Luke identifies them as Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, along with some other women who were with them. And everyone is so excited to hear this good news that they go out dancing in the streets, right? No, unfortunately, the women's report is met with rejection. And no doubt, beyond insisting that the tomb is empty, I'm sure the women explained that they had seen these angels and they even pressed the apostles to remember themselves what Jesus had said, that this would happen. But verse 11 says that these words seemed to them an idle tale, which is a, a unique expression that refers to utter nonsense. They are not buying it, and they do not believe them. And can you imagine what it would be like for these women to go from, from the lowest of lows to the very highest of highs, and then as you go around trying to rally your people around this good news, nobody wants to listen to you. That must have been incredibly frustrating. But then there's Peter. And, and there's something in Peter that, that can't resist the possibility that this might be true. I assume that he remembers that, that Jesus did, in fact, say that this would happen. And perhaps he remembers that, that Jesus has already demonstrated mastery over death by bringing other people back to life in his ministry. And maybe he even remembers that Jesus was right, even when he predicted Peter's own denials of him on the night of his arrest, which at the time Peter had thought was equally impossible. Right? That would never happen. But whatever it is, in this moment, he has to see for himself. And so in verse 12, he gets up and runs to the tomb. And when he gets there, he can see the, the linen cloths that had been used to wrap Jesus' body, but there's no Jesus. This is, this is wild. What could possibly have happened to explain this? Right, the Jewish leaders 
wouldn't have taken Jesus' body. The Romans wouldn't have taken Jesus' body. If there had been someone who came to, to rob the grave, they certainly wouldn't have risked taking the time to unwrap the body. And even if they had, they wouldn't have, have left the linen behind, as that was the one thing inside that actually had monetary value. Jesus clearly died on the cross, but, but even if by some unexplainable medical phenomenon he had managed to survive, after everything he endured on the night of his arrest, he would be in no physical condition to get out of the grave on his own. Every natural explanation has at least one problem that, that discounts it and eliminates it from serious consideration. Then there's the supernatural explanation that the women have offered, that the tomb is empty, is empty because Jesus has risen. And the question is, can that really be true? Luke ends the passage by telling us that Peter went back home marveling at what had happened. Something of, of infinite significance has taken place here, and, and he is desperately trying to wrap his mind around it. And so in our passage this morning, hope has broken into the most desperate situation. As Jesus' tomb has been found empty, and as angels have proclaimed that he has risen just as he said he would. All right, and, and the implications of the resurrection for us are enormous. All right, Jesus has claimed that he would die as a sacrifice for our sins. That, that as he gives his life on the cross, he would be enduring and experiencing the punishment that we deserve to receive for our rebellion against God. But, but how would we know that that actually worked? Well, the resurrection is what proves it. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus is just another person who died, like everyone else throughout human history. But by raising Jesus from the dead on the third day, God demonstrates that everything Jesus said about who he is and what he would do is true. Right? The resurrection, in other words, is God's stamp of approval on Jesus. Now, just briefly, sometimes people wonder, why the third day? What is so significant about that? Why not a week later? Or why not the very next day? And there are a number of reasons why that might be. There's certainly an Old Testament pattern of God giving new life on a third day. But just as importantly, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the timing of Jesus' death and how it fulfills the Passover, as Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover. God's judgment can pass over us because of Jesus. But it's often overlooked that the first day of the week after Passover is what's called the day of first fruits, which we read about in Leviticus chapter 23. And so at this time of the year, the grain harvest is just beginning. And so on the first day of the week after the Passover, the Jews would bring in one sheaf of grain as an offering to the Lord, as an act of faith that he would provide the rest of the harvest still to come. And so just as Jesus' death is the ultimate fulfillment of Passover, so his resurrection on the first day of the week is the ultimate fulfillment of the day of first fruits. Right, years later, the Apostle Paul would explain in chapter 15 of his first letter to the Corinthians 
that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We are to see that Jesus' resurrection was the first of a great harvest of eternal life that will come on the last day for those who place their faith in him. That's why the third day is so significant. God planned it this way from the very beginning. But beyond that, another implication of the resurrection is that it reinforces our trust in Scripture, right? because it demonstrates once again that God's word always comes true. And Jesus says that he will die and rise again, and that's exactly what happens. And we have to understand that someone who is right about that is right about anything else that they say. Right? Someone who can be right about that can be trusted about anything else that comes out of their mouth. And so when Jesus tells us that trusting in what he has done for us is the only way we can be saved, we should believe him. When he tells us that rejecting sin and pursuing obedience to his commands is what will lead us to the greatest satisfaction in life, we should believe him. When he tells us that, that he will come again to judge his enemies and to establish his kingdom, we should believe him. And when he says that he will one day make all things new, we should believe him. If Jesus is right about his resurrection, then we can trust everything else he says as well. Now, of course, our text this morning is not the end of the story, but it's worth noticing that a decision is already being called for. Right? Nobody has seen Jesus yet, but already the disciples, the apostles, are being called to believe. And in the same way, we cannot see Jesus physically today, and yet we are called to believe that God has raised him from the dead. In fact, it's ironically appropriate that Peter himself would eventually write in his first letter that though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't it interesting that the same Peter who ran to the tomb is the Peter who encouraged others in their own faith apart from sight? Or perhaps you're here this morning. And, and you're just here because a, a friend or a family member invited you. It's not necessarily that you buy into all of this Jesus stuff. You just felt like coming to church on Easter was the right thing to do. Or maybe you just didn't have anything else better to do. And if so, I want you to know that we are really glad that you're here. And, and I think it might be interesting for you to consider that the first people to deny the resurrection of Jesus were not atheistic philosophers or evolutionary biologists, it was Jesus' own disciples, the apostles, no less. The very first people to reject the gospel message were the very people that we would expect to embrace it. Right? These women come along barely able to contain themselves because they found the tomb empty because Jesus is alive, and the disciples say, nah, it's not true. And yet... In a matter of days, the world began to change forever because this group of people went from being entirely certain that Jesus was dead 
to being entirely certain that Jesus is alive. Perhaps there's some truth here that you haven't fully considered yet. At the end of the day, the empty tomb calls each one of us to make a decision. If the resurrection isn't true, then then the Christian faith is a complete waste of time. And there's no reason for any of us to be here today or or at any time for that matter. But if Jesus did rise from the grave, as the scriptures declare that he did, then he is worthy of our complete and total devotion as Lord of all. We should come to him in repentance of our sin. We need to trust in his saving work on our behalf. And we need to joyfully live our lives for his glory so that others can come to know and follow him as well. Every week as a church, but especially today, we celebrate the fact that because Jesus is alive, the powers of sin and death have been defeated. For those who are in Christ, however rocky this life may get, we have the assurance that all will be well in the end. It is true that because he lives, we can face tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, and every day after that until he returns to finish what he started. So this morning, may we all have faith to believe the best news ever told. Let's pray together.